Okay, well, let me first of all thank uh, Anthony for the invitation and uh, for the hospitality here at uh, Queen's. It's uh, been a pleasure to be invited to this uh, colloquium today. Um, so I'm going to talk about uh, a project which we're running with the Bank of England and with Stanford University, which is called the Decision Maker Panel. And this is an attempt to uh, try to evaluate what, the, what British businesses are saying about economic uncertainty that they face. Uh, and I should make sure that I remember, since the Bank of England is there in the title, that I'm not speaking on behalf of the Bank of England nor any of its committees. So anything that I say is uh, entirely my you opinion, not theirs. Sure the Bank of England doesn't talk on behalf of you. <laughs> well, <laughs> so uh, to give you some uh, background on this project, uh, it started because uh, Nick and I started to talk about the effects of Brexit. And uh, we actually had a transatlantic conversation while he was actually flying over the Atlantic about the impact of the Brexit vote and how this was going to impact the, the UK economy. And so we determined there and then, uh, two days after the Brexit vote, to uh, look into the scale of economic uncertainty and to measure its effects on UK business. Now, we did that in collaboration with the Bank of England and the Treasury for two reasons. First of all, uh, the Bank of England has to set monetary policy in the light of the headwinds of the economic uncertainty, and therefore it needs good measures of economic uncertainty, and we were keen to make sure that they had those. Uh, at the same time, uh, the Treasury, coordinating a lot of the work in British government, was seeking to work out what the likely implications of the Brexit vote were going to be for uh, for uh, business and they had to uh, put some negotiating positions together. So this was uh, essential that they should have information about the real effects and not just uh, uh, opinions, uh, needed uh, data. Uh, so all of these uh, parties were uh, involved in this project. Now to give you some indication of how large an uncertainty shock we've had, this is Nick Bloom's measure of policy uncertainty. Uh, it's called the EPU index. It's based on surveys in newspapers, uh, the number of mentions of economic uncertainty. Now, this is just the UK measure, but you can look at measures for the euro area. You can look at measures for the US as well. But by comparison with any other crisis that took place in the last 20 years, Brexit is 20 times, uh, sorry, twice as large as any event that took place in the last 20 years. It really has been a very, very significant shock. And I think, to a large extent, the reason why it was mentioned so much was because it was an unexpected vote uh, and uh, something of a shock. So how are we going to go about uh, actually looking at this? Well, we uh, first of all needed some funding to get the uh, project up and running. Uh, so we now have uh, um, the Decision Maker project up and running. It's well resourced by uh, the Economic and Social Research Council, the Bank of England, Nottingham and Stanford Universities. We've got Nick Bloom's expertise, which obviously helps an enormous amount. He has huge amount of ex uh, experience in setting up uh, surveys, and uh, we based our, our project on some work that had been done uh, by the US Bureau of the Census and also by uh, the, uh, the US Federal Reserve to measure economic uncertainty. And our strategy was to try to establish uh, what the distribution of uncertainty would look like. And I'll explain how we go about that in a minute. Now, we've been running for just over a year. Uh, it's actually, it's, nearly, it's getting on for a year and a half now. And we have something like 3,000 businesses across the UK that participate. These are CFOs or CEOs that give us their views on a monthly basis on economic uncertainty. We send them 
questionnaires online which take five or ten minutes to complete and they re respond. And we're sending this information to policymakers. I've already mentioned the Monetary Policy Committee, the, the uh, Treasury and a number of other government departments are uh, benefiting from the data that we produce. And in fact the Bank of England is putting a lot of stuff out on its website as well. Um, so what does, the, uh, what does the panel actually cover? Well, just to give you some nuts and bolts to begin with, uh, these are the sectors that we look at. Now, you'll notice a couple of omissions. We don't have finance in there at the moment, but we will add it. Um, the reason we don't have finance is that the Bank of England has other uh, contacts amongst the financial sector. It's a regulated sector, and therefore they have substantial input from the financial sector. We also don't have agriculture, which is a relatively small sector in the UK. Uh, but apart from that, we have all these other sectors. And so we uh, have uh, samples from uh, the different uh, sectors, and we can disentangle the, the database in a number of ways. We can separate the responses by the sector that firms belong to. We can look at the size of the company. We can look at its uh, regional location. And one of the things that we've tried to do, uh, in fact, we've designed it this way, is to match as closely as possible the pattern in the UK business register. Um, so, uh, the, uh, to look at this, if you look at this slide here, the, uh, the uh, red line is the weighted uh, um, uh, contribution in our sample from each of the sectors or from each of the firms by size. Uh, so here you've got the size by number of employees, here you've got the different sectors. The red line here is our sample and the blue line is the weight in the, the business register. So we're matching as closely as we can on a weighted basis. And this is deliberate to try to ensure that our, our results are representative of UK business. It actually staggered me to, uh, when I actually looked into it, to find out how uh, British business is, is uh, structured. Apart from the different contributions of the different sectors, uh, I was really quite surprised to find there are only 7,000 large firms in the UK where large is defined as uh, turnover more than uh, 50 million and more than 250 employees. Only 7,000. 99.3% uh, of firms are small, which means that they have uh, less than 10 million turnover and less than 50 employees. We actually cut off uh, the micro firms. We don't sample small, uh, really small firms with less than 10 employees because they're so volatile that they actually distort the data. So we cut that tail off, which means that actually, uh, you know, there, um, there's not a huge number of firms that you can actually to sample in total. But we're seeking to make sure that our sample is as representative as it can be. So what do we do? Well, we send this uh, sample, uh, this survey out, this online survey, and uh, we ask them about expected outcomes. We do also ask some historical uh, questions. And of course, because we can match the companies to a, a, data, a database full of their accounting information, we can actually check whether their expectations match up with what actually happened subsequently. Uh, but we ask questions like this, for example, where we say, um, you know, uh, what is the uh, percentage amount that you expect your sales revenue to change? Uh, and we ask them to specify the lowest to the highest level of their sales revenue, for example. Now, there are six of these standard questions and they might give us uh, numbers in these categories. So they should be uh, rising from the smallest number to the largest number, and we check that to make sure uh, the, the answers are consistent. Uh, 
And having got those five categories, we then say, okay, uh, according to the five categories that you've told us about, what percentage uh, likelihood do you attach or probability do you attach to each of these things happening? So what's the likelihood of this, the least, uh, the lowest level of sales growth? In this case, it's 10%. And what's the uh, likelihood of the 2%, the middle category? In this case, it's 50%. And we check that these numbers add up to 100, again, for consistency. So it's a, a cross-check on, uh, on the companies that they're not just putting uh, arbitrary numbers in uh, and that they are actually being coherent. And, of course, because they respond every month, we can check their results against their past responses. So um, there's a huge amount of uh, cross-checking that can take place to make sure that our samples are reliable. Now, out of this data, we end up with information like this, where we can look at distributions of sales growth, in this case, but we could look at investment growth or employment growth or costs or uh, prices. Um, and we can plot the data uh, and, and analyse it. And in due course, we will do some economic analysis. But for the, case of this, for the sake of this conference, I want to focus on uh, what we call our special questions. And these special questions at the moment have primarily related to Brexit questions because Brexit is one of the biggest sources of uncertainty. So we asked in... Uh, I, I'm going to go through six different questions that we asked the companies and uh, give you some indication of their responses. So the first question we asked, we asked this first of all in August 2016, it, uh, is... Um, how much has the result of the EU referendum impacted the level of uncertainty affecting your business? We asked the same question again in February through to April of 2017 and then again in August through to November. And the results looked like this. So uh, initially, uh, we found that uh, something like 23% uh, of firms said it was not at all important and uh, about uh, 40, uh, just under 40% uh, a firm said that it was uh, one of the top two or three or even the largest current source of uncertainty. As we've carried on asking that question every six months, what you notice is that the uh, proportion that say it's not important has declined. It's gone down from 23% to 12%. And the proportion uh, that is in this category has increased. Uh, so we're actually noticing an increase in uh, 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 Brexit as a source of uncertainty relative to everything else that's going on in British business. Now we can look at the uh, responses by sector, so we can find that while on average uh, the proportion saying it's the top two or three or the, even the top uh, source of uncertainty is 40%, there are some sectors like professional admin, real estate, wholesale and retail that say it's much more than 40% and there are others that say less. So we can tease out which of these sectors is actually uh, having, uh, uh, perceiving that Brexit is having a really uh, uh, considerable effect on their, their business. Now, in our sample, we have uh, other data. We can match across a load of accounting data, and we can also categorise firms by different characteristics. So, for example, we can look at uh, exporters in our sample. And um, so... When we ask the question, uh, are these firms exporters, which we have records on, then we find that about 55% of our businesses, and remember this is representative of the business survey, about 55% of our businesses are non-exporters. The remaining 45% are exporters. Most of them uh, export to both the EU and the non-EU, uh, and a small proportion, uh, just 2%, 
to, uh, to non-EU only and 9% to the EU only. So we have different categories. We can look at what happens to firms that are exporting depending on their destination. So if we ask the same question about Brexit uncertainty but break it down by those categories, what we find is that um, uncertainty is least important for those firms that are not exporters. It's a little more important for those that are exporting to the non-EU but much higher for those that export to the EU. Not uh, unsurprising, not, not surprising. That's what you would expect to see. We also find that firms that have a larger share of EU migrants and the, the proportion actually isn't very large. In, uh, in this case, it's only greater than 5%. It's a pretty small proportion. Uh, but those that have larger proportions of EU migrants in their, uh, uh, in, in their employment uh, show a higher source of uncertainty associated with Brexit compared to those that have a lower source. So these are all characteristics that you would expect, things that you'd uh, think would be pretty plausible. Second question, so how is Brexit going to impact on British business conditions? This is what businesses say uh, on balance, okay? There are some firms that will say uh, the opposite of, the of, of what is here, the, uh, the, the percentage share, okay? Um, there'll be some firms that say sales will go up, some will say that investment will go up, but on balance, firms are saying that Brexit is going to reduce their sales and reduce their investment. It's going to increase their unit costs, their labour costs and their financing costs. This is what they expect. So we have to see whether this is in fact the case. Uh, we'll continue to monitor these data and we'll be able to observe their actual accounting data to see whether their sales revenue did go up, go down, or, or investment did go down, or their, their costs went up. Uh, but this is what they were saying when we asked this uh, question. Now, if we do it on a weighted basis, then the numbers become a little bit more extreme. The reason for that is that larger firms are more negative about Brexit than smaller firms. Larger firms are generally more exposed to uh, international events. They have supply chains throughout Europe. They tend to employ internationally. They often have uh, uh, plants overseas or uh, facilities overseas. Therefore, they are more exposed to these kinds of shocks compared to UK-located firms. And the larger firms, which have a larger weight, uh, then uh, tend to give a more negative uh, response. So again, this is, uh, I suppose, what you would expect to see from a, an uncertainty shock. You'd expect these things to, to happen. Now we start to ask other questions. So we say, okay, uh, looking at your investment growth and your uh, Brexit uh, as a source of uncertainty answers. Let's correlate the two together and see what, uh, how they are related. So we can look at the same firms. We can look at their, uh, the investment growth that they report, their expectations, and also what they say about the uh, Brexit being a, uh, either not a source of uncertainty or a major source of uncertainty or something in between. And so on this uh, horizontal axis, we have the different categories of uh, degrees of uncertainty, not important over here, most most, uh, the largest source of uncertainty over here. And then on this axis, what we have is the average annual investment growth uh, that took place in the first half of 2017. And what you see is that for those firms that thought Brexit was not important, they had higher uh, uh, investment growth. And for those firms that thought it was a high source of uncertainty, they had a lower source a lower uh, average annual investment growth during the last period. So what we can observe is a somewhat downward sloping uh, relationship. Now this is a, 
a graph that summarizes a lot of detailed information. And uh, what we will uh, do is obviously a lot more complicated and uh, sophisticated analysis controlling for many other factors, uh, uh, running regressions and so on. But it tells, the, the chart tells the story. The story is the more uncertain you are about, uh, about uh, uh, Brexit, the less uh, investment uh, growth you have undertaken in the last half year, in the first half year of 2017. So it has an effect on investment. Um, when we look at expectations of investment, uh, this is what we've got from a succession of surveys. The different colours represent uh, different periods when these uh, surveys were done. And you can see that mostly uh, the impact of Brexit on investment is, has no impact. About 70% of firms said that it had no impact. Uh, to a large extent, that's because investment is committed and they uh, won't change it. But there are some firms that say there is a large or a small positive effect, slightly larger number that say there's a large or, or, or a small negative effect. And that proportion has been increasing uh, over time. So there are, uh, we've seen uh, a larger proportion of, fir um, proportion of firms over this side uh, as a result of the... Uh, 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 in terms of their expectations of investment in the light of the Brexit uh, vote. Okay, third question. Uh, how does Brexit impact on decisions to locate? Uh, lots of people talk about firms moving overseas. Uh, they talk about uh, sectors uh, having to move to Europe in order to... Uh, um, in order to uh, be able to participate in European markets. Uh, and so we asked the question, how does Brexit affect your decision to locate part of your business? And that's an important emphasis. It's not about the whole business. It's about moving part of their business. About 80% uh, of our firms uh, said that it doesn't, uh, there's a zero chance of them moving any part of their business overseas as a result of the Brexit votes. Um, that, to a large extent, reflects the fact that many of our firms are small, many of them are UK uh, located, and they don't have any operations overseas, they don't export. But there are a reasonable proportion, uh, one in six, that said that there is a um, uh, there's a chance, 10% or more, that they would move some of their business overseas. Now, obviously, they don't quantify how much, uh, but that's a significant proportion. 16% um, saying that they'll move some of their business overseas as a result of the Brexit vote. Um, we then asked the question the other way around. We asked, uh, what impact is it likely to have on relocating some of your activities back to the UK? Uh, now, again, uh, because of the nature of the uh, firms that we're sampling, many of them are small, many of them don't have any overseas operations, the question's not applicable for around 70% of the firms that we asked. But 27% said there's a 10% chance of relocating back to the UK. And 4% said there was more than 10% chance of relocating, and... Uh, I think it was 2% of the, uh, said that they were likely to do that before the Brexit negotiations had uh, concluded. So they were going to do it before 2019. So some of these firms are really determined to bring some of their activities back. And indeed, uh, anecdotally, we hear through the open response questions that 
uh, many of these firms are already bringing their supply chains back into the UK because of the uh, additional costs associated with continuing to source materials from the EU with the movement in the exchange rate. Now, what about this question? It's very hard to uh, ask about productivity because as soon as you ask a question uh, about productivity, people's eyes glaze over and they, they, uh, <laughs> they look a little bit puzzled. Uh, but um, what we've done is to try to tease out some information. So uh, we've uh, got a chart here which shows the, the productivity measure with the national average being 100 uh, plotted against the, uh, the, sh the share of the vote that was remain uh, for the region in which the business is located. Okay, so let's suppose the business is located in Cambridge. Uh, Cambridge had a massive pro-Remain share. So that business would be located in this uh, place here. Let's suppose the business, is, is the business is located in Sunderland. Sunderland had the largest uh, pro-Brexit uh, votes, and so it had the smallest share, and it would be located down here. What we plot here is the productivity of the firms uh, that lie in each of those uh, regions. So in regions that have... Uh, tended to vote for Brexit, they had lower than average productivity. For firms that were in regions that tended to vote for uh, Remain, uh, they had much higher than average productivity. Um, I'm very tempted as somebody who works in a university to say, well, that's the university effect. Universities and all those nice spin-out companies that surround them are highly productive. Well, that's part of the story, but it's not the whole story. Uh, there are many productive firms in the UK, but they tend to be located in areas which tended to vote uh, Remain. Uh, so you can see a difference between the pro-Brexit and the pro-Remain parts of the country. Now this chart here shows, uh, again, looking at the uh, pro-Brexit versus the pro-Remain uh, parts of the country, what their expected investment growth was uh, for the year to 2018 quarter one. And what you see is that they were much more optimistic in the uh, pro-Brexit areas and much more pessimistic in the uh, pro-Remain areas. Given that these are the more productive people and these are the less productive, I should say, firms, these are the more productive uh, firms and these are the less productive firms, that suggests that productivity on average for the UK is going to decline as a result of the Brexit vote. Um, we can't ask direct questions on productivity very easily, uh, but we're trying to tease out some of these questions uh, by this means. Now, another story that we hear quite a bit is that firms are spending a lot of time strategizing, trying to decide how to deal with the many possibilities uh, that may result from the negotiations over Brexit. Uh, is it going to be hard? Is it going to be soft? Is it not going to happen at all? Uh, they've got to uh, strategize for each of those. So we ask the question, how much planning time by the CEO, by the CFO, is devoted to Brexit-related issues. Now, the majority said none or just an hour a, we uh, a week. Not, not, not a great deal. Uh, but a fair number, more than 20%, were devoting at least one day. Well, let's say a CEO works for 10 hours a day. Uh, at least one day uh, a week um, to this question. That's a considerable amount of diverted effort. Um, now, it's not to say that businesses won't strategize about all sorts of things, but they didn't need to strategize about this if it didn't 
if we hadn't uh, gone down this route. So it could be uh, regarded as some diverted effort uh, towards some activities that they, uh, won't necessarily lead to uh, a more productive business. Then finally, uh, how has Brexit affected hiring? A lot of firms hire from overseas, uh, and so we ask the question, first of all, what's the share of EU migrants in your workforce? Um, there are some firms that have a large number of migrants in their workforce, and quite a lot that have not very many. Uh, so we've got quite a range of different responses from firms here. Um, but when we ask them, uh, all our firms, uh, how has it affected your hiring plans, these red categories here, 31% said it was going to subtract from hiring. Uh, and uh, the proportion that said it was going to increase was about 10%. So uh, a net negative effect on hiring and possibly uh, some effects on the supply side as well. We can imagine that uh, fewer applicants from the EU uh, would apply in the circumstances. And maybe uh, when we hear about the education sector, we'll hear a bit more about that. Certainly anecdotally, I hear quite a bit about the number of applications from uh, overseas and from the EU. So uh, quite a few different uh, responses there that give us an indication of uh, what business is thinking. Uh, but before I finish, let me give one final caveat, and that is, remember, firms are generally more negative about Brexit than the general population. This is the result of asking the same question in two different surveys, the NMG survey and our DMP survey. So the blue bars indicate the proportion of people who said, from their own perspective, this is households, whether Brexit was regarded as a very positive, somewhat positive, neither positive nor negative, somewhat negative or very negative outcome. Okay? And what you see from the blue line is a pretty symmetric response, similar to what we observed in the actual referendum. Uh, fairly balanced on both sides, slight, uh, slightly more positive towards Brexit uh, because we ended up with a, a Brexit vote. The businesses, on the other hand, were much less positive and much more negative than the household population as a whole. Now, you can draw your own conclusions from that. Uh, does this mean that these people are inherently more biased towards a negative view, or does it mean that they have more information, more basis for making their decision than the average household, and therefore they're more informed in some ways about the likely negatives uh, and positives? Uh, I'll leave you to make that judgment. Thank you. Well done. Thank you very much.